You're listening to a DM podcast. G'day and welcome to Behind the Podcast with Jules and Stocks. I'm Jules and with me as always is my co-host, Anthony Stockdale. How are you doing, mate? I'm well, man. I'm well. Different parts of the world this week. That's right. I think it's been a while since we've been together in a studio due to COVID and one reason or another. Yeah, it's been a minute. <laughs> looking forward to getting back in there and looking forward to talking to some more people soon. But I think this week we thought we'd just have a bit of a chat about the industry and a couple of things that are grabbing our attention in the world of podcasting and podcasting adjacent news. What are you going to talk about today? Yeah, I'm just keen to have a chat about the streamers bloodbath that's going on out there with people like Netflix, uh, Spotify, Acast, etc., 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 etc. It's just interesting time. Um, does this mean that there's trouble for them or is this just the economy and the way it's going. So I've had this conversation with about 10 people, so I thought I'd rather have the conversation with you and everybody here. Awesome. Well, yeah. somewhat related to bloodbaths, I'm going to talk about uh, true crime podcasts a little bit. So basically, I'll jump in. Hey, The, the big kind of news at the moment is obviously the trial of uh, Chris Dawson for the murder of his wife, Lynette Dawson. So if those names are familiar to you, it's probably because you listen to the Teacher's Pet podcast. Um, this was a wildly successful podcast that was done by Hedley Thomas, part of The Australian. Um, it investigated the disappearance and potential alleged murder of Lynette Dawson. Um, and yeah, it just absolutely went gangbusters and led to the case being reopened and further investigation happening by the police. You know, you would have seen footage in the news of pools being dug up, of all this sort of stuff happening. And, and obviously... Um, ultimately it's gone to trial so I think just in the context of of the role of podcasts in you know telling these true crime stories but then also what's the responsibility of them so I mean usually we go behind the podcast I thought maybe we could go beyond the podcast on this one and look at some of the things that they've had to do to make sure that you know Chris Dawson receives a fair trial it's such a fascinating moment in time isn't it in time frame in podcasting, this was the first great Australian podcast, and it came out not too long after Serial and the um, Adnan Syed season of Serial, which really was the first one where there started to be a groundswell from the audience to reopen a case. And this one's gone to the next level, hasn't it? We're 60 million listeners worldwide. Um, the case got reopened, and I mean, it's just popcorn. The twists and turns are unbelievable. What they had to pull the podcast down. I mean, yeah, let's let's get into it. Yeah, I mean that, that that's a really good point. Like initially, when the case was going to be going to trial, to ensure that he did try to get a fair trial, and you know everyone's innocent until proven guilty, the podcast did get pulled because they didn't want to sway juries. Now, Chris Dawson's uh, people have argued that there's no possible way that he could ever get a fair trial due to the popularity of the case itself through the podcast so that's mind-blowing yeah. to think that that many people have listened to a podcast that's been put out by Hedley Thomas by the Australian that it's soiled the entire country as a jury pool absolutely uh, Justice Elizabeth Fullerton ordered a temporary stay on the trial until at least June 2021. So that was to try and get it to come out of the public's uh, memory, I suppose, which hasn't really worked too well. Um, but she just sort of said that the 
the media and public commentary around the case was the most egregious example the court had ever considered when it came to this kind of thing. I mean, there's just no sort of precedence for it, really. Um, so they did have that delayed for some time, and then Chris Dawson's uh, team wanted a permanent stay of this case. Now, this wasn't successful, but what they have done is to ensure you know, some sort of objectivity, they've gone and uh, implemented a judge-only trial. So they're not going to actually be able to use a jury for this trial. Wow. Is, is this the modern day or our version of the Lindy Chamberlain trial? <laughs> where it's just... It's, it's insane that this is happening. I feel like everyone's so invested now in this trial that's coming out and what they've done another podcast to go break down the day by day as well. That's right. That's right. They've uh, brought out the new one called The Teacher's Trial, which basically follows the case as that unfolds, done again by Headley Thomas and The Australian. So they're really pulling in the whole life cycle of this story. Been uh, just kind of following it through the, the press and I didn't, hadn't realised that this show is out yet. It's only just been discovered. So I'm interested to take a listen and see kind of, you know, their take on the trial and everything that, that they're hearing. Because, I mean, you know, ultimately he created a narrative around some information that was available to him, dug into all the old uh, cold case, you know, files. And this is something else that's quite interesting around these true crime things is, you know, ultimately these people who make these podcasts, the storytellers, they want to tell an interesting story. It's not like a proper legal proceeding. It's not like the way that, you know, the police might investigate something. They want to find people who are compelling to listen to. They want to find, they'll they'll take interviews with neighbors who, you know, might be operating on hearsay rather than fact a bit more, just to give a a bit more color. They want to keep you on the hook. So you mentioned Serial before. I think casting my mind back to listening to that, you would go from episode to episode thinking someone, you know, Adnan was guilty or, you know, Jay was guilty or whoever was guilty, but you're ultimately being manipulated by the creator to keep you listening to the show. And the best way to do that is just to have this constant kind of doubt in your mind. Whereas, you know, in the case of Chris Dawson, this one was a little bit more, it felt like he was guilty from the outset. It's been presented like he's the protagonist and he's the guilty party the entire way. There hasn't been another person introduced as a possibility. Uh, it's been a question of, hey, how can I, what can I unearth to confirm this case? So that's a really interesting point that basically this jury pool would be soured if you have listened to the podcast because I, everyone I've spoken to, I haven't heard anyone come out and say, nah, there's no way. It's more, oh yeah, we'll hear about this affiliation with the bikies or... They used to do this when they played Newtown Jets. Everyone is adding on top of, oh, actually, it's worse than what the podcast said. I haven't heard anyone counterpoint it at any point. No, that's right. And so, you know, you can understand why they were trying to get this thrown out for those reasons exactly. I mean, you know, it, podcasting is, is somewhat new media. Um, and I think there is a lot of things in, in old media, which is rules and, and regulations to kind of protect the innocence of someone until they are proven guilty. Um, they might not mention names in, in media coverage. They might not show photos, all these sorts of things. But with podcasts, I mean, anyone can just open up any old case, do a bit of instant internet investigations and, you know, create a really compelling narrative around a story. Ask someone if they want to be involved and, and you know, talk to their innocence And if someone called you up and said, hey, mate, I'm just about to release a podcast about how you killed such and such. Do you want to take part? I would probably say, no, thank you. That's absolutely insane. But then you're painted as this person who doesn't want to take part. I mean, it's really quite weird. Yeah, very interesting. 
There's also there's a, a company called Ashurst, which I was uh, just having a look around what the kind of legal implications are of, of you know starting a true crime podcast. So if there are any people who are interested in in starting a true crime podcast, there's a they've got a nice little flow chart of things that you should consider if you do want well, to do it. Can you walk us through it? Yeah, no worries. I mean, it starts with what are the current uh, what is the current state of the proceedings? So. There's no current court proceedings. Proceedings are on foot or there were proceedings, but they ended, including appeals. So from there, you can go down and say, okay, if there's no court proceedings, are the police currently investigating? Yes, no. Have they made any arrests, et cetera, et cetera. And this just kind of goes on. And ultimately, it sort of might say, you know, there are no uh, contempt issues, but defamation issues are something you need to consider and other risks of affecting right. future proceedings should this be considered together with the lawyer. So even kind of that as as an idea you know it's this kind of double-edged sword depending on the popularity of the podcast you might go in there with the best intentions of trying to solve something but then it becomes so popular that it ruins the chances of a fair trial and you know maybe a killer walks free so i just found this whole little rabbit hole quite bizarre so that's interesting so basically what you're saying is if there's no current court proceedings it's you've got to worry about defamation not contempt if there's been any proceedings in the past or they're on foot then you've got to worry about contempt. That's exactly right. So you could have some people coming after you with some pr- pretty serious charges. Right, so defamation or contempt, wow. Okay, so tread, tread carefully any would-be uh, mini Headley sleuths. Look, the one thing I'll say for Headley is I'm sure he's, oh, well, I know he's using proper journalistic procedure here, which is you have same things you would do at a newspaper where you have a source and you've got to verify it. But what he may not have been doing is including interviews in his podcast that didn't support what he what his hypothesis was so you know that goes back to what you're saying so you i'm sure he's doing a proper practice but as you said at the end of the day we're trying to create compelling content here you're just going to include information to support your narrative probably or that's right at least it's a, it's a massive temptation i guess yeah, and any any podcasts that are kind of coming from these established media organisations like the Australian or like the ABC or whatever it might be, you know, they've got a, a, a whole legal team that's there to help them out with these kind of things and make sure that they're doing all of the proper things that they need to do to ensure that they're not going to be kind of swaying anyone or, or you know, defaming someone. So. They've got all of that. If you do want to start something, if you've found a very juicy case that you feel like wasn't investigated properly or there's something about it that's a bit fishy or whatever, well, talk to a lawyer, I guess. Yeah, I mean, look, we're in the process of doing our first true crime podcast right now. It's in production. But maybe we should line up someone like Kate McClymont for a future episode and have a good yarn to her about all this stuff because she's really on a very, very hot case right now, which is right in this sort of court proceeding, proceedings in foot kind of space. Absolutely. I think it's it's one of the most popular genres of podcasts. I think she would definitely be someone who would be incredible to speak to and, and get her opinion. Well, I think Liar Liar is about as hot a podcast as it gets right now. So maybe let's reach out to Kate and see if we can come back and have a good yarn about it. Fantastic. So, industry bloodbaths. Let's pop back over into that. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, I've had a conversation with a lot of people over the last few weeks. And really, the sort of thing is about, A, all these streamers are getting absolutely annihilated on the stock market. 
and let's just qualify this is on the stock market. So the S&P has dropped 20% this year, as anyone who any, owns any shares would know. But the media sector has been the bloodbath. So New York Times is down 48%, Netflix down 75%, Disney 44%, and Spotify is about up to 70% now from its high, but 60% down for the year. And this isn't just overseas. Locally, Booktopia is down 83% this year. These streaming services are maybe having a reckoning, particularly after subscription rates probably going through the roof over COVID, over the pandemic. Deezer, which is the French music streaming platform, which started around a similar time as Spotify, they went public last week and they're down 35% from their opening value. I mean, they're a unicorn company over there, valued over a billion euros. That's not great for, I guess, a music streaming industry. And then Acast is down as well, down about 30% from their IPO last year. But to be fair, the Swedish stock market is getting pummeled as well. So is that reflective of Acast or are they just falling with everyone else? Yeah, there's some interesting things to consider with that as well because... I think, you know, across like Uber and and other businesses like that are all sort of, you know, hitting financial hardships as well. But these are all startup businesses that, you know, were born at times where they're basically giving money away for free. So you could scale up a business with relatively no interest and just pump a ton of investment capital into it. And you see like with Netflix, you know, it was all about getting subscribers. They've been able to increase their subscriber base year on year since it opened um and now you know they want to see if they're going to get a bit more return on on what they've invested in this you know so you might see a lot of this a lot of the content that they've created start to slow up a bit all these shows that were being greenlit with a very simple idea might not be going ahead and unfortunately we might see the end of the sharing of passwords Yeah, yeah, that would be a blow. I mean, 200 people laid off worldwide at Netflix, a lot of stuff cancelled. And and look, there is a Netflix, Spotify, I guess, parallel to be drawn. I also watched The Social Network again this week because it's just landed on Netflix, ironically. Uh, That is a great movie. And that's all about, I guess, the key crux, not of the movie, but I guess the key crux of what Zuckerberg was trying to do was build it, make it cool, monetize it later. Don't try and mm-hmm. kill the golden goose too early. And I guess that is the point that some of these companies are at or were at or will be at. I mean, something like the New York Times, they've been having challenges with monetization for years. But if we just have a little look at Spotify, over the last four years, they've spent a billion dollars on podcasting. So they already were the sort of leader in music um, and they want to get into podcasting. They bought content companies like Gimlet and The Ringer, 230 mil for Gimlet, 200 for The Ringer. They bought tech, so they bought the megaphone platform for, again, similar price to Gimlet, 235 mil. They bought Anchor for 100 mil. They bought Wooshka, Australian companies involved in this as well. It was under the 50 mil valuation, which they don't need to report on what the price of the acquisition is under their uh, company laws. Uh, 49,999,000. Could be. I mean, I've heard around 20, but I don't know. Uh, anything is a bloody good payday. They bought talent and existing shows like Rogan for 200 mil, Call Her Daddy for 60 mil. They did obviously the deal with Meghan and Harry and the Obamas, neither of which has borne much fruit. I mean, the Obamas literally filled their obligations of producing 15 hours of content and got out. And Meghan and Harry, let's see, there's something coming in the pipe soon. But podcasting is 7% of the listening on Spotify. So if it was that billion dollars worth it, it's 7% of the listening there. And it's 
only 2% of revenue. So that's where this has all gone a little bit peak tong, is all investors got spooked by those figures in the Bloomberg report that came out recently. The 7% surprised me, but also you're just more likely to just have music playing for, say, 10 hours than you are podcasting. So I kind of get that. The 2% revenue, sure, that's terrifying, return on a billion dollars. But I think Spotify is still working out how to make revenue. Yeah, and if they're spending that kind of money, I mean, it, it, it stands to reason that it might take a little bit of time to kind of pay it off and increase that revenue. But also, you know, the investment in their mind has to be worthwhile. And, and they see podcasting as a huge growth space because, you know, you see the way that they've started to insert advertising into all of these shows from yep. people being the, the arbiters of their own ad space and, and selling their ads on their own show to these ads just being inserted based on, you know, popularity. Yeah, exactly. And to take it back to Netflix, Netflix pivoted a few years ago to, I mean, they've done a massive acquiring of things like XNBC stuff like Friends and Seinfeld. But what they started doing was making their own content. They had the data. They saw, what, three years ago that there was, everyone watched Love Actually and, and Elf and a couple other Christmas movies all of December. So then one year, I think you would remember that about 20 different Christmas movies just popped up because they had all the data, what people were watching, people listening, and then the value is to create their own content and go from there. So even though Netflix's share valuation's down, their subscribers are going backwards or plateauing, there's the Nielsen rankings in the US is of the top, I think it's the top 10 TV shows or streaming shows of the year. Netflix has the same, has more than all the other streamers combined. So they're making good content. So you can't deny that. Making good content and winning Oscars now as well, I think was always the the thing that they were striving for. And they're not at the mercy as much of relationships with all these different film companies which have now set up their own streaming services. So they don't get the Paramount content anymore because Paramount's got their own app. Uh, Disney's got their own app, et cetera, et cetera. So they're not getting the access to being the online version of all these other TV shows, which they were before. What they're doing is they've created their own content. So I think that's what Spotify's trying to do here is not be dependent on a record label-led model and actually producing their own content. Because podcasting, as I think we can all agree, is going up. So, I mean, in my mind here, the positives is the subscription business of Spotify has never made them any money. And ads are only 10% of revenue right now. So that means there's tremendous opportunity for this to go up. In the US alone, there's a $10 billion radio ad market, which it's going to go backwards, like for sure. I mean, they do have digital radio is a big thing over there, but podcasts are going to keep eating into that. And as we said before, the user data, Spotify has more information about their individual users than any other podcast platform. Everyone else has just got an RSS feed, can tell what device you're on, where you listen to it at. Spotify knows a lot more about you, so they're going to be able to create some incredibly targeted ads. They'll have all your music listening habits, they'll have what you listen to, when you listen to it, what, how old you are, what gender you are, just a ton more information. Just everything they can pull from that open graph. Yeah, and look, if there's this big recession coming, lipstick always sells best in a recession, right? So lipstick sales go through the roof every time there's a recession because people want to do something that makes themselves feel good and they want to indulge in something and it's the small things they indulge in i think podcasts will do very well if there's a recession because you can just still keep listening to podcasts for free you don't have you might cut back on two of your streaming services you might cut back on a few things but you're not going to cut back or go to the movies but you're not going to cut back on podcast consumption so i feel like podcasting is well placed and they're now the number one podcast company in a lot of countries. 
So it feels like they're well placed. And I guess what they've got to hope on is that there's an inflection point coming where all their investment comes together in this beautiful strategy and pays off. On the negative, it could just be a bad business model. And their CEO even said this. He said, this could just be a bad business model. And if you're going down the data world, I mean, hello, Amazon and Google, they have a lot more data than Spotify does on individuals. And Google's got the greatest ad business in the history of the world. Yeah, Google could come play, I guess. But where I guess this all comes back to for me is public companies and how they're valued. Public companies, people are always trying to project value based on metrics. With Netflix, it's the subscriptions. Once their subscriptions plateaued, after they got a massive foothold in India, there's only so many people in the world who can get a Netflix subscription. Valuing it on their not having this continual growth was a mistake by them to stake their valuation to you know, a model like a Facebook model we're just going to keep growing subscribers. And then Spotify, it's this gross margin thing where they're not, make, not making the money based on their investment. So is it being judged on the wrong thing? I don't know. It's, uh, it's interesting times though, isn't it? Absolutely. And as you said, look, if there is a recession and everything goes to shit, at least we've got a few good podcast series that we can listen to and know that we've at least got some free content, even if it means listening to the occasional ad. Hell yes. Anyway, that's my rant, but that's a chat I've been having to everyone. I don't think Spotify is the next Netflix, but we'll see. Yeah. I love it. All right. Well, next week, I think we'll be back with some more interviews, some more industry stuff. If anything comes up that's of interest that we want to share with you guys. But yeah, thanks for listening. And Hey, is there um, anything you've been listening to? You being obviously part of the Batuta, one of the very popular Batuta posts that gets shared around quite a bit is uh, about someone who has ignored you know, the usual white noise stuff to help get to sleep and have started listening to true, <laughs> to true crime podcasts to help them get to bed at night. Um, I used to do that quite a bit, but I've actually just gone into the Beatles world a bit more recently. So I've been listening to Nothing Is Real, a Beatles podcast. So this has actually been around for quite a few years. So there's tons of stuff to listen to and it breaks down songs. It breaks down, you know, various parts in the Beatles life and their story. Um, it's, it's done by two Irish guys. Really interesting they're super into the Beatles, obviously. I mean, you wouldn't start a podcast like that unless you absolutely were a fanatic. Um, but yeah, if you're looking for a bit of Beatles content, I recommend that highly. What's the format? I mean, how long are they? Each episode can be you know, half an hour up to the more recent ones, which are about an hour and a half. So they're quite long and they do sort of, it's a, it's a two-person uh, job. It's just kind of, you know, both of them bringing their knowledge to the table. So I'm very much on season one, uh, which was released back in 2019. So yeah, a couple of years to catch up on. Oh, that sounds good. I've been having a bit of trouble sleeping. How about yourself? Uh, I've gone back into the squiz. It's been fun hearing Claire again. do love hearing her in the morning. The one tiny, like, this is splitting hairs. But the one thing is that the two ads in 10 minutes is, look, you've got to make money, right? Uh, totally. But it definitely does, doesn't enhance the listening experience. But look. This is the beauty of the 15-second skip. You just do a double tap at the start and you're straight into the news. But I'm sure they wouldn't like us saying that. Yeah, absolutely. Double tap, advertisers, take that on the chin. And then the other one is the 60 songs to explain the 90s has come back for another 30 songs. Because the 90s were so fabulous. Well, because the podcast was so successful and I think everyone's happy to get some more. It's definitely not as good as the initial 60, in my opinion, but it's fantastic. I will listen to them 
go up to a thousand songs that explain. I, I agree. Look, uh, this is an old favourite of mine. Rob Harvilla just does such a good job on this show. And, and I, I think you're exactly right. Like, it did sort of start to lack a bit towards the end of the 60, um, and certainly some of the ones that have come out post-60. But uh, recently listened to the Bittersweet Symphony episode um, by The Verve, absolutely fascinating i think that is such a great story and you know my heart goes out to richard ashcroft as much as you can sympathize with someone who's a world famous rock star yeah absolutely and i think what they've done is they've basically opened it up to social media and said recommend songs or here's four different options and that means that they're actually getting i guess they're getting out of their bubble a little bit and they're getting different songs, like I had Mary J. Blige this week as well. And I think that's how they can sustain this a bit further if it is something that they are crowdsourcing to a degree, as opposed to just Rob having to come up with another 30 songs. Yeah, that's right. And, and also having that interview at the end, generally the, the format of the show is Rob does his, his soliloquy, his piece first, and then he has an interview with someone who has a particular interest in the, the song or the artist. All right, mate. Well, there's plenty of time left in the day to listen to a couple more hours of podcasts, so why don't we leave it there? Better get to it. All right, brother. Take care. Catch you, mate.